Uh, we're going to be in 1 John today. It's this letter at the end of the, near, near the end of your Bible. If you're in Psalms, you're way off. Uh, keep going right. If you end up in Revelation, you've gone a little too far. Uh, we're going to be in 1 John. John, this guy named John was one of the apostles. He traveled with Jesus. He's one of the 12. Actually, he was one of the inner three. Uh, him and his brother James, sons of thunder, was what Jesus nicknamed them. And Peter, one of the inner three. And he traveled around with Jesus and he wrote down a bunch of stuff. When he writes this letter, Jesus has come, he has died, he has ascended into heaven, and John is probably an overseer of several churches, and he's writing this letter, except that it's just, it's not like a letter that I dash off, it is a carefully constructed, a, using a rhetorical device to kind of circle around a topic and build and build and build and build uh, to assure his people that he cares, these people he loves, he loves so much. He's, he's writing to assure them that they are Christians and that they have eternal life in Jesus and that this is the way. That's why he's writing this story. So I think it deserves our careful attention. Um, he's writing to these people that are, well, they're being distracted. They're being, people are trying to convince them uh, that there's a different way. People they knew, people that used to be a part of their church have splintered off. We can tell from some of the things that John says. They've splintered off and they are trying to convince people that they've been duped, that they've been mistaken. And so they're trying to convince them that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that he wasn't really here in the body, that he wasn't the Messiah or some version of that. And, and so John is writing to assure them of all of that. And he begins this way. This is 1 John 1. I'm going to read to you what they call the prelude, the first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and we're writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. This is his opening. Is this magnificent statement. And the sentence, uh, according to uh, Greek nerds, is difficult. It's complicated. It's very, every, every commentary says that. They're like, oof. Those first four verses are one sentence. And the verb is at the very end. And there's a whole bunch of parenthetical statements. And so making sense of it is very, very difficult. But the general sense of it is, is, is pretty obvious that he's talking about this Jesus. So, um, we Christian people, we humans, um, what I've noticed is that for many of us, myself included, I include myself in this group of people, of humans, uh, that what's real to us is what's immediate. Does that make sense? Uh, the thing that is right in front of us, pressing on us, uh, waving its hands in front of us, trying to convince us that, that it is, that it is, needs, it's our immediate attention. Uh, the things that are immediate tend to be the things that are most real to us, the things that we react to. Um, in the corporate world, if you have a, a corporate job, uh, it is, it feels like this. It feels like all of these little things crop up that need your daily attention and you get to the end of your day and you've been very, very busy, but you didn't do any of the important things. 
You only do the immediate things. Which is why you work on Saturday or come in at 4 a.m. to do the important things. The important things. But it happens in life. It, It feels like you're always just greasing the squeaky wheel and never getting around to doing the important things. It it can feel like there are so many things that need or are demanding our attention that it can be overwhelming and chaotic because of all of the things that are thrown at us constantly, that are constantly screaming at us. And we can feel in life unaccomplished because the most important things always lose out to the immediate things. And that is just not a super um, satisfying way to live. (laughs) Uh, To always feel like you're only responding and not actually living. You're only reacting and not being proactive. Uh, And that's why I think so many people are looking for something else. I think so many of us are, are looking for something else, something beyond, something that is different. Because being okay on paper, really, if you're a human, is just not enough, right? Like, I mean, you can look at your bank account, look at your job, look at your situation, and everything on paper is just fine, but somehow that doesn't stop the anxiety and the worry. It's weird, right? I mean, I've never in my life wondered if I was going to have another meal. I've often thought during a meal, I wonder where I'll eat my next meal, but I've never ever thought, like, maybe I don't get another meal. I mean, like, I think that most of human history would be like, what? Like, you never, not once. But yet, it doesn't seem to hold off anxiety and worry. Isn't that strange, right? And so I think that we're constantly looking for something beyond us. Because I think as humans, we realize that we are capable of more. Uh, we want more than just ease. We want more than just a lack of suffering, although that's a thing to be desired. But we just, I think, are constantly, even in comfort and ease, either wondering when the other shoe's going to drop and it's all going to fall apart, or I think maybe even more often, wondering if maybe, yeah, this is fine, but is there a better way? Like, is, like, I'm living this way, but is there something different? It's very possible to have a very real fear that we're not doing it right, but all those people over there are with life. And it's a human thing. My golden retriever doesn't seem to worry about such, right? She's, you know, marked primarily by just uh, promiscuity with her affections, right? She can go to your house and be fine. She wouldn't miss me at all. Uh, She doesn't worry about As long as her needs are met, she's just the happiest thing in the world. It's humans that can have our needs met and still long for more. Weird. We are capable of more. We long for more. We are actually looking, so many people are anyway, to be lifted above the hustle and bustle. To be be out of the hustle and bustle. To to have a, a sense of self fall away and feel connected to something bigger than yourself. Uh, people are looking at all, all over the place. Uh, I was, it's transcendence is what, what, what people often call this. Uh, this looking for the thing that's just out of reach. This something bigger than you. Uh, I remember experiencing this in my life once. Uh, I took some time off as college and I drove out. That's how long ago it was. It happened so seldom. Uh, I was driving out to, uh, I was trying to get to California. Did not make it. Car troubles, whatever. I end up uh, going through Arizona. This beautiful, beautiful day in the morning. Uh, there were cactus and desert. Cacti and desert. And then the, in the evening I arrived, towards the evening I arrived in 
um, Red Rocks and uh, Sedona, right in Sedona. And I remember rounding the corner and seeing just this amazing, beautiful landscape capped with snow. It took my breath away. I pulled over and I jumped out of the car and just stood on the hood of my car. This car is just whizzed by me. I didn't even notice it. It was amazing. And it just standing at the rim of the Grand Canyon. Maybe you've been at a concert or been listening to a piece of music and there's this moment where you just forget about yourself and you forget about where you are and you're caught up in the beauty of it and it transcends, it lifts you above. Holding your child the first time, does it? These moments are rare and fleeting and I think that we're constantly chasing this idea that there's something more to the life and it's just out of reach but a lot of people are living like there's something out there that would make us happier. And we get these little bitty glimpses, but the minute they come, they last a heartbeat or two, and then they're gone. And the minute you recognize it's happening and you begin to examine it, it disappears. This is just a human experience. Uh, And the problem is that when we have this constant sense of of being unsatisfied or or lacking satisfaction in in what's going on, uh, many of us begin to look for something else. Uh, It leads to this instability. It leads to your heart being restless. Looking for this and looking for that. And I think that a lot of times we try mechanical fixes. I'll do this or I'll do that. I'll move these pieces here. I'll try this. I'll try that. But so often it just doesn't really feel like there's any life inside at all. And here's the crazy thing. Like it sounds like I'm talking about some weird transcendental meditation thing that I'm about to lead you into. That will not happen. What's crazy is that the Bible affirms that this is the human experience explains why it is the human experience and offers a solution, offers a way forward. Uh, So John starts this letter this way and he says, uh, he begins to use language. Uh, um, He he thinks of humans as having, you can tell he thinks of humans as having two different types of lives. And this is the the biblical story. So he starts off, that was what it was from the beginning. He's talked that way before. He wrote what we call the gospel of John. He used that phrase in the beginning. And he uses that phrase on purpose. He actually uses it quite a bit. And it's to recall Genesis. In the very beginning of your Bible, if you flip all the way to the beginning, Genesis 1-1, it starts that way, in the beginning. And John is basically saying, what I'm about to tell you, the argument I'm about to make, I'm tying it all the way back to the beginning. It's grounded all the way back at the very beginning of this huge narrative, this huge story. He says that humans were made in God's image. That's what it says in Genesis, to to, to rule alongside God as long as we were tied to him. Like he's the divine source of a life, the one that orders things. And so the fall that we read about in Genesis 3, this rebellion that humans are deciding to, you know what, we will decide what's good for us. And not only what the blessings we should have, but how we'll go about getting them. And that severs that access to the divine life. It's broken. And that's the rest of the story. That we can be born, that we can come into this world physically alive, but spiritually detached from the actual source of life. And that's the sad story of all the sin and hurt in the world is these tiny little would-be kings running around trying to get their way, trying to be happy apart from God, detached from the divine source of life. 
And so when Jesus comes, he begins to say crazy things like, if you would have life, if you would have eternal life, then you should be born again. This idea that you could be physically alive but spiritually dead uh, is all through the scriptures. And, and John is tying back that rest of the biblical story. Uh, and and in most of the Old Testament, you actually see this play out. It's, the, it's people believing, God's people who he selected and saved, somehow thinking that living God's way or being tied to him, him living among them is actually not a good thing and they think that their neighbors have it right. All of Judges and the Kings and, and all these are just story after story after story of people going like, you know what, I hear what God said, but that looks fun. I think they've figured it out. Let's do that. And their life falling apart, God rescuing them, bringing them back, driving them out, bringing them back. They're like, well, please save us, rescue us from all this. God brings them back. And then again, they live for a little while under God's rule. And then they go, you know what? Maybe they have it right. And they begin to live like their neighbors. That's the Old Testament story. Them just constantly looking for how are we supposed to live. And John's saying, this is a human experience. When we are detached from the divine source of life, of course you're going to be looking for something else. You're going to be looking for that thing that's beyond you because you were made for it. And of course you desire this thing that's outside of you, that tie to the, to the divine. John says, my story goes back and is tied. What I'm about to tell you goes tied back all the way to that. That which was from the beginning. The thing that was in the beginning, we heard it. So it could be a message at this point, which we have seen with our eyes. Okay, it could be a message and it could be a vision. Maybe you had a vision. With our eyes, so not a vision anymore, I've physically seen this, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. John says the life that you're looking for, that thing that's right out of reach, I know him. I, now, I've seen him. I heard him teach. I walked with him. Not only that, I held him. The thing that you were looking for, that, that thing that feels just out of reach, the thing that those people are trying to convince you there's a different way, that, that way that they're promising you is the way to life, it's not. I've actually touched him. Because what John is going to make this argument is that this way of life, concerning the word of life is what he says. He says, concerning the word of life, which is clearly an allusion to Jesus, he talks about it elsewhere, the life was made manifest. He says the thing that is ephemeral, the thing that was transcendent, the thing that is so far out there that you never possibly imagined it, that thing that is just out of reach, the, the God that does not, is not part of this universe that f seems almost like a mist to us took on flesh and lived among us. That's his message. The thing that we are looking for, the, the divine source of life invaded. It moved into this world. It broke through time and space, walked among us. I know him. I've touched him, I have held him. And so he's writing to these people who live in an age like ours, a world full of things, paths, philosophies, ways of living, ways of thinking, products, uh, pictures that only tell partial truths that really just amount to a, a feed of lies, uh, and schemes of prioritizing and organizing our life, or even relationships that all plead and tempt us to trust their promises of satisfaction. If you would just make them ultimate, 
They lived in that world and we live in that world. And John says, the thing that you're looking for in all these places, it's Jesus. It's the word of life that was with God from eternity. He broke in and has made himself known in this way. Amazing. And so there's two things right here. John uses this imagery of the word of life and uh, the life that you're looking for uh, in, in Jesus is in the word. And so John describes this life as, as the word of life, this Jesus. Uh, uh, and I'm not gonna fully go into the metaphor here, but uh, I will make available uh, in the sermon notes. I'm gonna make available a, a pretty good resource that may, may help you with uh, that, that image. We're not gonna go all the way into it, but what John is saying is that it's not just the word, it's not just the message that Jesus brought. It's part of it, right? Jesus taught these amazing things. Uh, it's, but it's not just the message that Jesus brought, it's actually Jesus himself that is the word. It's not just that God sent someone to say a thing, it's that God came himself and and was the message, was the good news himself. Not only like, hey, I know the way, but I am the way. Not, hey, this is it, if you'll just do these things, you'll be happy, but if you know me and are found in me, you will find eternal life. So it's not just what he said, it's himself that is the word. And the quality of the life that he's offering of that divine is the life that's divine, the life that's connected to God, the kind of life that he has to offer. The best metaphor that I could ever come up with, I keep trying to find one, but the best one I can come up with is the one that's already in the Bible. It's the one of, Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. The way that we live, the way that we have access to this eternal divine life is to be found, the biblical word is in Christ, so united with him by faith that we are counted as him. And what Jesus says is that the life that flows through him from the Father flows into us when we are attached to him, just like a branch attached to a vine. That's how we produce fruit. That's how we produce life is by being attached to Jesus, not in these other ways. So this becomes incredibly, incredibly significant in the way that we live, in, in a few ways. One is this. There's a whole lot of stability in knowing that it's not by, that we're not saved, that we're not, the way to this eternal life, this thing that we long for, long for this thing that we desire, the making it through the judgment that is to come, it's not found by just following the moral teachings of Jesus. Jesus had some amazing moral teachings. He said that, you know, you should love the Father with everything that you you have. You should love each other the way that you love yourself. You should care for your neighbor like you care for yourself. Who's your neighbor? Anyone that God puts in your path, even if it's your enemy. Pray for your enemy. He talks about dealing with anger. He's amazing moral teachings. Uh, But It's not by following the moral teachings of Jesus that we find the way. It's by being united to Christ. And here's why there's a great comfort in that. It's not that we shouldn't do those things. We absolutely should do those things. But here's the thing about doing all of the moral teachings of Jesus. They're not going to make them, they're not going to make Jesus love you anymore at all. What I found is it will actually make you love Jesus more. (laughs) but it's not gonna make him love you anymore. It's by faith that we are united to him. And here's why that's so reassuring, why that is just so deeply comforting. Because it means that when I stumble and I fall, he never lets go of me. It's not 
on the basis of my ability to live up to this standard, but on the basis of his ability to hold on to me even when I stumble and fall, that I have access to this life. That I have access to being picked back up. That I have access to forgiveness when I stumble and fall. This is significant that it is in this person and not just in falling away a program that we find salvation. The other thing is this. It's this affirmation of the goodness of creation. Uh, God, there's people that are were at, at this time that were trying to convince them, well, Jesus, yeah, he came, but he didn't have a real body because the physical world is bad and the spiritual world is good, so he must have been just spirit if he was good. And this is an absolute repudiation of that. No, the physical world, God came and not only did he create it, but he came flesh and dwelt among it. And then when he died and rose again, he had flesh and is and, and sitting with God right now in heaven is a human with flesh. It's amazing, right? This world and this life that we live matters. It's not just that we care for our souls. It's not that just we try to reach and care for people's souls. It's that we absolutely care about their entire being. Jesus did, and we do too. But it also means that you're more than a physical being, that you are also a spiritual being, right? So it means that we absolutely must care for our souls, I think that we spend a lot of time thinking about our physical comfort and our physical care, and we absolutely must also begin to think about our spiritual care. What do we do to care for our souls? Because you are more than a physical being. And that is an amazing thing that he affirms here. Not only that, uh, there's hope for the physical world. And it says at the end of this, it says it connects us to others. How John connects us to others. John says, this is not just something that I've affirmed. This is something that other people have seen and heard. And we are connected to the life of the Father and the Son. And you can be connected. I knew him, I saw him, I heard him teach. And you can have that same connection with us and with them through faith. They are invited also into this. You and I, down through the ages, through all the generations, till we heard it preached and proclaimed to us, can be united in the way that John was to the Father and the Son by faith. That's what he is saying here, that this is what makes us stable. So here are the two problems that I think it presents for you and me today. Here are the two problems. Uh, One is this. When you begin to see the world this way, it kind of messes you up a little bit. When you begin to see the world as people looking and longing for this thing that's just out of reach, and you begin to see the world as designed, human beings as designed, longing for this relationship and really looking, as you you begin to see in Augustine's words that our hearts are restless, when you see that, when you begin to see the world that way, it kind of messes up some of your conversations. Because you'll be having a conversation with a coworker and you'll, you'll see something happening or somebody that you know that comes to you and is, is really struggling and, and, and maybe about to enter into a relationship that's inappropriate and all of a sudden you go, uh-oh. Th- this person is longing for something that's just out of reach and they're moving things around in a mechanical way and they're trying to find life and meaning and rise above uh, the, the everyday hustle and bustle because they're not satisfied and they're about to make a terrible decision. I might have to tell them about Jesus. When you begin to see it this way, you begin to notice it in yourself and you notice it in others that we are constantly pushing, we are constantly longing, we are constantly moving and our hearts are constantly restless until we find rest in Jesus. So many of the moves that we make, so many of the things, I'm, I'm convinced that 95% of the things that we buy are fig leaves to cover ourselves, to cover the shame and hide our inadequacy. That number may be high. 
Could be low. I don't know. The point is, it's a lot. Of the things that we do are just to cover the shame. And, you be, and it's a lot of the things that we do are to try to find a way out, to find meaning, to find something above just mere comfort, to find something to make the anxiety stop, to find something to shut down the fear. And when you begin to see that and you begin to notice that that's how the world works, you find yourself wanting to tell people about Jesus. And that's hard. But it's also amazing. Here's the second problem uh, that it brings up. It's a problem with our eyes. Because this way doesn't always look like winning. There's a reason that the guy, people in the Old Testament, like you, you read the stories, uh, like especially if you're reading Judges, and you're like, man, how long, are these, how long before these people get it? That Jesus, is, that God's way is better. And you read the story over and over again, how long before they get it? And then, you realize, then I realize that I'm the same way. It's a problem with my eyes. You look around and those people over there look like they're winning. It looks like they're doing it right, like they're living life right. And I'm over here suffering and struggling trying to follow Jesus. And we get confused and, and, and our eyes just can't see and our hearts begin to drift and we find ourselves in the shower just humming Michael W. Smith, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm gonna make fun of Michael W. Smith right now. So uh, uh, yeah, like that's a verse from Ephesians that he writes his song, right? And I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to it, right? I'm sure my wife has it on like a Michael W. Smith 90s bangers playlist um, on Spotify. Like I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to it, but it's a, it's a verse that says, that recognizes Paul writing to the church at Ephesus saying there's a problem with our eyes and the things that we see and what we look like success and what looks like will satisfy and what looks like will fulfill us. There's a problem with our eyes and it's all screwed up and really the only thing that will ever fill us the way that we need to be, the only thing that will provide eternal life is Jesus. And so we are so bombarded by all of these different things and products and ways of thinking and ways of organizing that compete and declare this is the real way, this is the true way. And, and John is writing to these people who are all going through the same thing and he's writing to us and he's saying, do not be swayed. That access to the life that you're looking for, I know him. And you can know him. And you can be brought into fellowship with him. What you do this week then is that you believe. You believe John's testimony. You believe the testimony of those with him. And you begin to try to convince yourself, to look around and convince yourself, if you were the people living at this time, that Caesar's not the way. The ways that they came from, the religious uh, things that they were brought out of, that that's not the way. For you and me to convince ourselves that it's not houses, it's not jobs, it's not vacations, it's not new wardrobes, it's not achieving personal activation or transcendental meditation that will deeply satisfy us. Convince ourselves over and over and over again that those things will not satisfy and believe just to look at through the songs that we sing, through the scripture that we read, through the worshiping together, at the beauty of Christ, that he pursued us when we rejected him. He came and said, this is the way to life. This is how I love you. The reason that we say that Jesus not only brought the word of God, but was the word of God because of how he lived as part of it, but also because he came and died. What is our God like? He's like Jesus. He's humble and he's lowly. He welcomes you into this relationship and he has this self-sacrificing love that is at the heart of our God. 
and we meditate on that and the beauty of what Christ is like, let that melt our hearts of stone so that we can finally rest secure in who Jesus is and what he's done. And all these lesser things competing for our attention, they find their proper place. Because relationships aren't bad, they're good. Work is not bad, it is good. These things aren't necessarily bad, but they belong in the right place. And our hearts stop being restless. These things fall in the right order when we trust, when we see the beauty of Christ. This is what John is grounding everything in. The life that you're looking for, you can have access by faith. I know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. For Christ, for Jesus, for John in his heart, for his church that he's writing to, that they might have life in his heart, that they might trust, that they might grow in their faith. To be reminded, to be encouraged. This is not some scheme, but your ways, you stood for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We see them so clearly in Christ, what you were like. God, I pray that today, as we come to the table, you meet us here and offer us grace, the body broken and the blood spilled, that we can have life. That that breaks our heart of stone. That that opens the eyes of our heart so that we can see that your way, that following you, that trusting you, that you as our firm foundation, that's what helps us weather when times are good and when times are bad. That's what helps us weather success and helps us weather defeat that you have accomplished what we never could. Man, how beautiful, how amazing, how beautiful. So, meet us. You've pursued us. Let us see the beauty. Let's be overwhelmed by the beauty of Christ. Make us more like him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.